We can't take that old letter from my first lover No, we can't take anything unto that some great other Every lone sock and every diamond We can't prove it Cause everybody knows That if it's not love We can't take it When we go We can take our ex-wives' laughs And our mother's worry lines We can take off that which we gave to those Of whom we had to help And of whom that taught us most But if it's not love, we can't take it When we go We can't take it in when we go If it's not love, we can't take it when we go To that place where my heart no rust Cannot touch us past this dust If it's not love, we can't take it when we go And all our prizes and impulse buzz Thee will be fast appraised And into one bargain bin They'll be casually thrown Until what's favored and are forgotten Will delicately be told If you're not love, kid, we can't take you we go We can't take it in when we go When we go Wherever we go If it's not love We can't take it When we go To that place Where my heart no rust Cannot touch us Past this dust if it's not love, we can't take it when we go. Na 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 That's Toronto's singer-songwriter John Brooks with When We Go from his seventh album, Moth No Rust 2, 
which revisits his original critically acclaimed solo album Motna Rust, which came out 10 years ago. And this time around, he brings his band, The Outskirts of Approval, along for the ride. John Brooks claims that he writes songs to calm those who've looked into and seen what's in their hearts. He also writes songs to terrify those who've not. And that's pretty accurate as far as I'm concerned. He's one of those performers that is a must-see. And an artist who pushes you to reflect on what you've been listening to. And in the case of Mothna Rust, to ask what it means to be human. His lyrics deserve to be poured over, as no word is ever wasted. And when John Brooks decides it's time to revisit an album, to reflect on his own artistic maturity with a new band in tow, well... It's definitely time for another conversation. To learn more about Mothnorus 2, we're pleased to welcome John Brooks back to Folk Roots Radio. How are you doing today, John? Very well, Jan. Thank you for doing this. It's great to have you join us. You know, when I do an interview with someone like you, it's like I'm doing an interview as a fan as well as a radio broadcaster. But I truly do love what you've done with this album. Uh, the original Mothnorust is a fabulous album, but I think... That was very much a solo project. I think that was album number three, was it? Well, it was album number three. You mentioned it was critically acclaimed. Maybe within Canada, in, in, a, in, our, in our small little folk root circle. But beyond that, it, it didn't, I, I didn't even begin playing outside of the country until after that album was released. And it went out of print fairly quickly because a lot of the songs, I, they were great for live, live playing. Prior to Moth Nor Rust, I only had an album of, uh, uh, of, of, of dark Toronto uh, stories and an album of Canadian war stories. So there was an urgency to do an album that had a little bit more um, uh, light in it, particularly for performing live. That is to say, <laughs> Moth Nor Rust, uh, it, it came out in 2009 and it, it went out of print probably two years after that. And only then did I begin playing internationally. So even though a lot of these songs get played on, have been being played on stage in various incarnations, most of the time I was playing these songs to audiences like in Australia or, or, or all over the States or even parts of Canada. And none of the songs were available for, for anybody to buy, to take home. Yes, critically acclaimed in, in Canada, but in a very small circle. It was nominated for a Canadian Folk Music Award, and that was about all the critical acclaim it, it garnered. And then it went out of print. So for me, it was, it was good to revisit this, if for no other reason, but to promote these songs that I thought are still relevant. The title of the album, Moth No Rust, that really comes out of that first song. And I think actually... It's two or three Bible verses, isn't it, that actually explain the title Moth No Rust? Yes, it's uh, from Matthew. I don't have the quote in front of me. Oh, actually, I do. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, you please read it because I don't, I don't, it'd be barbaric to uh, paraphrase a great line. From chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, which says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right. The idea being 
all the positive characteristics that make us human also happen to be intangible. And in more poetic words, like in that quote, all the things that neither moth nor rust may touch. That was a, a conscious decision to go pursue this, this positive theme after doing an album of war stories. The, the great thing about this album, and I guess it's why so many people love it, is the fact that it really does weave through the album. And, and that's a theme that you've used quite a few times. I mean, you've used it on the last album, No One Travels Alone. Isn't that a little similar to, to, to some of the themes you've been mining in this album as well? It's right in line with No One Travels Alone, for sure. I remember when starting to do this album, the first impetus behind it was I just began to, I, I, I just, you know, took the, the leap off the cliff into uh, full-time professional music. And I'd been, I was playing a lot, and yet I was playing, performing solo, which I did for the first 12 years of my career. And I didn't have anything on the merch table that was representative of the show that I was putting on. That was the first need. I needed an album that was just raw and and stripped down. And and this album, it, it worked with the theme well too, right? It was it was it was. I remember when the album came out. I didn't even want to. I didn't even want a lyric booklet. I wanted it as sparse and stripped down as possible, keeping in line with the idea of 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 all that moth nor rust cannot touch. And there was no overdubs. We did the takes. I think at most we might have done three takes for one song, maybe. A lot of them ended up, we ended up going with the first take, as, as happens a lot. So that was the first, the first reason why we did it. The second reason was is that at the time, I was looking at the first three albums as a trilogy. The first album was essentially uh, outwardly about Toronto homelessness vis-a-vis -vis its architecture and its outward design and the irony that that presented. You know, you've got Toronto's richest, most... Uh, opulent city in the country and yet on every corner there's homelessness what comes from homelessness homelessness of the spirit even naturally leads to war and the only way we get out of war is to look within at the positive things that that make us human so that was the idea there and over time these songs never left the live show like if we keep what's within us became a fan favorite there was no way i was getting off the stage without playing that locally when we go to this day, I can't think of a better opener to a show. There is only love, maybe the best song I'll ever write. I don't, I can't imagine doing better than that. It's the perfect song. I play it now, ten years later, as if someone else wrote it. Small was a song, the oldest song I've I've ever recorded. It was originally written in 1993 when I was playing with a rock band. That song has gone through so many different changes that when I originally wrote it, I was looking at it from the the child's perspective, not the father's. Now, even though I'm not a parent, I, I always sort of uh, identify with the father in the song. So that song's always been around. I guess from your point of view, I mean, this album is obviously really dear to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I don't know if it's my favorite. That's a hard one. My old friend Greg Quill once said, uh, the true test of a song is actually how often we play it as songwriters. We might have all the other reasons why we don't play a song, but the bottom line is the best songs tend to be the ones that end up on setlist.fm the most times. And definitely out of those 10 songs from 2009, six, seven of them kept were in pretty regular rotation for years. And yet 
things have changed since then. And the song, unlike other art forms, operates in time. You know, a painting stays the same. Of course, the people viewing it don't, but the painting itself doesn't really change. But songs operate in time. And over the years, they change too. They should change. If they don't, there's something dead about it. So the album now, we'll talk a little bit about who played yeah. on it in a in a few moments, but the songs on this album now, are they the way that you play them um, when you're playing them live with the band now? <laughs> it's funny. The album hasn't even been formally released yet, and there's a couple songs that have already, once again, mm-hmm. ever so slightly changed their timbre or their tone or their character a little bit. It also depends on the musicians you play with. What's Within Us is a very different song when Neil and I do it as a duo. It's a very different song than when I do it with Joe and Vivian. It's a very different song when I play it just solo. That's just the nature of music. Uh, Already there's a a few tiny little differences. Now we're going to move on and play What's Within Us in a a couple of minutes, which is another fantastic song. I just had one other question about When We Go. Is it true you actually wrote this for your sister's wedding? Because it doesn't really come across as a wedding song, but it it is an amazing song. So, yes, I did. And now there's other verses to this song. And occasionally when I'm bored, I'll throw in alternative verses. The verse about we can take our ex-wives laughs and our mother's worry lines. I did not sing that in a church at my sister's wedding. Like that would be that would be over the line a little bit. I'm all for challenging people, but maybe not to that degree. That was a different line that's now sort of sits there as an alternative verse for me. But the song was strangely meant as a wedding song. And of course, it's never been played at a wedding outside of that one time back in 2008, something like that. And um, But yes, since then, it's been played at at least three funerals that I know of. It's a beautiful song. It, it really is a, a perfect way to, to open the album. Now, if we move on to actual track two, which is the one we're going to play now, that's what's within us. And I think this actually, the theme for this song comes from the Gospel of Thomas, doesn't it? Yes. The Gospel of Thomas 70. It's an apocryphal gospel not many people know about. It's sort of a, a collection of axioms attributed to Jesus. Who knows where they come from? That's a whole other discussion that doesn't matter the gospel of thomas 70 the line is uh it's it's a it's a strange reversal of what what of what my song becomes i basically took the line flipped it on its head it was something like if we if we keep oh never mind i'm not gonna try well i actually i let me tell let me tell you it and you can read it back it's please put me out of my misery (laughs) if you (laughs) if you bring forth what is within you what you bring forth will save you. What you do not bring forth will destroy you. Right. So, 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 so you see, uh, slightly more archaic language. But what I didn't like about that was, you know, two thousand years later, I thought it was necessary to put the positive side at the end. And so, basically, the language is contemporized. The the language is updated a little bit. And then I, I shift it around so that it, the last line is the possibility to redeem ourselves. And of course, it's strange. I, I suppose that is the essence of the song. However, the real, the real meat of the song is in the, the juxtaposition of that chorus with the fact that if we look around us, 87% of us are doing 
work that doesn't inspire us. A negative mind might say that the human beast is, is impossibly incompetent and, and just fails most of the time at what it endeavors to do. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that what's, what's closer to the truth, and that's an important point, we never really arrest the truth, but we can get sort of close to it, I think. To get closer to the truth with this song is to say, the truth is, is that most of us just aren't blessed as I am to do what we love to do. Imagine if, imagine if that percentage was flipped. This is not a scientific percentage, by the way. It's just uh, something I borrowed from the American writer, John Gardner, who, who says, law of the universe, 87% of all people in all vocations are in fact incompetent. Well, I know what he's getting at. He doesn't mean for that to be literal. He just means that most of us are not as lucky to be able to do what inspires us. Therefore, we are not that inspiring it at our work, sadly. It's interesting because we're recording this interview on Labor Day. And ah, you, that's good. Perfect. You, yes. Yeah, this is this is ideal for May Day and Labor Day, of course. And you, you mentioned before that this is a this is a song that, that people really want you to sing in concert. And I guess it's because we can all connect. You know, the, going back to that point about people doing things they need to do because they need to make money to be able to support their lives and their families. And yet at the same time, we can all connect through a song like this because it covers so many different groups of people. Yeah, I, um, I, I love this song because it, it has a strange way of being very inclusive universally. And yet at the same time, this song doesn't let anybody off the hook. There's one line in there that people will listen to and, and different people will respond as if they've been caught out a little bit. Like, you know, for example, uh, we're retired, but we are still working. When you're playing to audiences that I'm usually playing to, uh, frustratingly, more often than not, 55 plus, which is something that we really need to figure out as a community to change, but we're working on that. That's a bit of a shot, you know? It, it's, it, uh, in, a lot of, in a lot of vocations and jobs and professions, there's a big problem with people not getting out of the way. That's just one example, but the point is, is that n nobody is left completely off the hook with that song as much as, as much as we're all celebrated in the song too. And plus, years ago, a barber in Saskatchewan got quite upset that his profession wasn't mentioned. <laughs> Let's listen to that song just now. This is John Brooks with "Once Within Us" from his great new album "Mothna Rust 2: A Reimagining." and a band version of the wonderful Mothno Rust album from 2009. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. We are the artists sweeping the floors we are the poets sending out the spam We're the prophets doing all the dishes We are the misemployed and we're working for the men We are the bad backs doing all the heavy lifting The children mentoring the elders We're the engineers wearing the name tags We are soldiers trained as welders we're fishermen on the tar sands the night shift dragging in the day we are the millwrights doing telemarketing 
In a call Santa still called Thunder Bay In a call Santa still called Thunder Bay And if we keep what's within us If we keep what's within us What's within of us will kill us But if we give what's within us If we give what's within us What's within of us will see us We were nurses back home in Kingston, Jamaica We're cleaning ladies in Toronto tonight With a single mom shopping at Walmart We can't afford the luxury to do what's right we're pitchers at bat, goons on the power play We're the fans that can't afford a seat We are the dietitians serving up the all-day breakfast And the vegans that are hanging up the near-dead meat We're lawyers, but we are in business Yes, we're corporate, but we are individuals by law We're the babysitters that are raising our kids And we're free to vote Enslaved by it all, yes, we are free to vote to be enslaved by it all. And if we keep what's within us, if we keep what's within us, what's within of us will kill us. But if we give what's within us, if we give what's within us, what's within of us will see. Waiting on the tables We're the new and well-lettered illiterate And we're looking for a parking spot For the spiritually disabled For the service charge that used to be interest Yes, we're the grifters that are managing the banks And we're the academics hooking up the draft tanks We are your hosts here We appreciate your business thanks We are the shamans preaching the gospel we're the Christians arming for war We are the men, the women, the first children Living at the end of metaphor We're administrators in the pulpits Decisively agnostic in the pews We're the journalists working at the second cup We're the statisticians reading us the news We are the profs but the students have fled For safer space No conflicts Like Instagram Where they'll be calling us out With all the power and prestige Of identity politics We're farmers Building the suburbs Enumerators Telling us the hard truths We're the contractors Drawing up the town plans We're the shy girls Tonguing in the kissing booths we're the plumbers getting rid of the knob and tube We're wannabe models showing us our new homes We're MBAs, CAs, minimum wage BAs And we're team building, but we're all alone We are historians at the front desk We're the social workers counting up the till 
And we're the crane operator with the English degree. And we know we got a book or two in us still. We're the copywriters doing the curating. We are the doctors driving the cabs. We are the specialists. And we're trying to change a tire where your union delegates working as scabs. We're anesthetists, but we're faith healing. We're sports casters with political views. We're the snake handlers advising elites. We do that downtown voodoo on the dollar for you. We are retired, but we are still working. Yes, we're linguists teaching business speak. We're the bards eulogizing tradition. Ah, uh, the time is up for you. Easy irony, let's bring on a brand new shared suffering. Bring on a brand new something heavy. Bring on a brand new renaissance chord. Cause we know we're ready. Yes, cause we know we're ready. And if we keep what's within us, if we keep what's within us, what's within of us will kill us. But if we give what's within us, yes, if we give what's within us, what's within of us will save. We'll save. That's John Brooks with What's Within Us from his new album. His new album is Moth No Rust 2. It's a band version of his wonderful solo album from 2009, Moth No Rust. John Brooks is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. Now, the album is recorded with the outskirts of approval, and I sense that these are people you play with pretty regularly, aren't they? Uh, as of late, yes. It's kind of a revolving door depending on budget, who's available, what part of the world I'm in. It's almost more like a collective. You know, I always play with my old friend Neil Cruikshank, with whom I've been playing music with off and on now since April 86. I remember that because the first gig we ever played was at the Salty Dog Saloon in Kleinberg the day after Chernobyl blew up. So that's how long we've been friends. And, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing to be able to have a musical brother and friend to be able to play with. We, we, we speak on a language that transcends, you know, language. It's just, it, there's very little talking um, and, and very little explaining. It's just, he, we get each other at this point on some primordial level, I think. So playing with Neil is always a joy, who also co-produced this album. He's based in Vancouver. So obviously I don't have him out for the Dakota next week, but when I'm in Toronto area, I always play with Vivian Wilder, who is a, a, a force, a songwriter, a first-rate songwriter in her own right, with her own band, Vivian Wilder and the Vice Presidents, and just a, a, a frightfully good music talent. And her voice, to me, is even better than her bass playing and her bass playing's first rate she does all she does stand up bass mainly with me but she also does bowing and and all man she covers all manner of styles 
It's also just really great to not have two fat middle-aged white guys on the stage. Most times in when I'm touring locally, I'll have Joe Earnwine on guitar as well. And he plays electric guitar and pedal steel. But those descriptions don't really serve his talent either. He's he's a he's he's more of an ambient force musically with us. When John Showman's not touring with his own with his own group, he'll play uh, fiddle with me. And you know, when I'm down in Texas or when I'm in Australia, there's other musicians that that have learned the songs that I'll that I'll play with. But you know, it, they're all we're all together on the outskirts of, of approval. So it's one big uh, kind of family. We should mention Jason LaPrada is actually the yeah. only holdover from the original album, right? Because he engineered the original album and he does this one too, doesn't he? Yeah, we were a little bit worried about that. Neil really wanted to produce it and he knew the songs inside and out. And and I really wanted to include Jason on this revisitation of the album. It turned out uh, Neil and Jason uh, became the best of friends and it was maybe the most fun I've ever had recording. We just, it was so laid back and Zen. It was just, Jason's the kind of person, and both Neil and Jason, they're the opposite of me. I'm, I'm high strung, not easy to be around. And those two are the kind of people where you walk into the room and you sit down across from them and immediately your shoulders sort of relax. That's the kind of people they are. So we, we had, more laughs recording this than any other album I think I've ever done. So it went really well. And we should mention that Rosemary Phelan, the sadly departed Rosemary Phelan, actually lends her voice to, I think, at least a couple of tracks on the album. Yes. Um, I remember recording the original Mothner Rust in their house. And she was always there during the whole recording of it. Since then, we became friends. She, we did gigs together she sadly left us May 2015, I believe. But, you know, one of the great things of technology, we were able to have her sing on this. Not only that, but we recorded we recorded 17 songs for this. Um, it wasn't supposed to be, from the outset, a repeat of Mothner Rust. It was supposed to be a new album entirely with a couple Mothner Rust songs. What turned out was we ended up with 17 songs. So what we ended up doing was whenever the funds arrive for the next album, and I'm in no hurry, but there's all the other songs that Rosemary is also on because of these sessions. And that was pretty haunting. I can't imagine what it would have been like for Jason to be mixing that. I don't know that that would have been easy. I don't know. I think he loves the fact that she's on there singing. It gives me a chill listening to her voice. Also thought it was just, uh, I just thought it was important to have these, these, these direct connections to the original album. Yeah, we should mention that uh, Rosemary Phelan uh, was the the partner of Jason LaPrade and of and, course, uh, yes, with with, with an cool. absolutely beautiful voice. I I actually think it's really nice that you actually were able to put her on the album. I think that's a another very special thing about this recording. You mentioned how originally you thought that this would be songs that may have connections to Moth no Russ, which which right. really, I mean, the theme is all about uh, different aspects of being human and how yeah. the things that are really important in life are actually the intangible things rather than the more physical things that we tend to think about. But there is one song on the album that is connected to the original Moth no Rust, but actually the lyrics are somewhat different, and that is mm-hmm. the next song we're going to play 
which is The Crying of the Times number three. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about this song. Well, the original album, Moth and Arrest, had a song called The Crying of the Times, and then bookending it, like it was the third song in, and then the third, the third song from the end was its bookend, The Crying of the Times reprise. I always liked the reprise musically. It felt right with the, the content of the song. I was never entirely happy with the words. Um, you know, I'm not sure I trust a songwriter that doesn't feel compelled to constant, constantly improve their songs over time. I know Dylan probably took a lot of strange criticism from probably mostly non-songwriters who thought it was horrible that he would change lyrics and even melodies to his songs. To me, that's, to me, that's completely natural and, and proof that the song has any vitality still over the years. So I wanted to do a song with, I wanted to basically take the music of the crying of the times reprise, but sort of improve the lyrics basically. And I, and I do love the way we did it this time. And you, you name checked Bill Heffernan on this one as well. That was I was curious. Yes, about because that. he gave me the idea. Do you know Bill? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's two songs on this album that Billy and I actually l- kind of lived, and it was during the summer of 2008 when I went to the I was playing at the Edmonton Folk Festival, and I wasn't yet full time, so this was really exciting for me t- to organize a tour by car from Toronto across the country to Edmonton and back. I was performing solo then. And performing solo is a lonely business on the road. So I brought Bill with me and we did this massive road trip, both the song Safer Days and the song Crying of the Times number three come from this trip. I remember sitting in a hotel room in Kenora on the way back and, uh, and he was quoting a South African writer. I, I, I'm thinking it might've been J.M. Koitsi, but he said something to the effect. It's not, it's not that original of a sentiment. It's been bastardized and, and 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 reshaped over the years but basically the gist of the song is what bill sort of uttered in the hotel room before we were going to sleep one tired night in kenora he didn't say those exact words but it was close enough where i basically asked his permission okay billy that's a chorus and i'm taking it we if you can write it before me it you, you know fair game but if i beat you to it it's mine so that's why i credited him with that and this song actually kind of reflects that quote from you that I included at the the beginning when I was introducing the interview, right? Um, you know, the, right. this song really does make you think, and I think you know we, we are we live in very turbulent times. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about that. There's a lot of things that seem to be happening that, at least from where I'm sitting, seem to be totally crazy, and this song really brings that all up. And I, I guess that's kind of. Uh, leads into the next part of the interview after we've played the crying of the times this the the live show but do people come up to you and and you know raise issues you know in relation to to some of the things you sing about like this i mean it must make some people uncomfortable i hope so a comfortable audience is a failed show we're not here to make people forget their lives we're here to make people look inside themselves and and I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do that. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single song in a two-set night has to be some heavy-duty, you know, soul-searching uh, existential subject. That's definitely not the aim. Um, basically, you get two or three songs a night to do that, and that's it. The rest of the time, the other songs are 
in some way uh, working as a scaffold to get to that point. What I have a problem with is what I do on paper. What I do live always works. It's always worked. People are starving for, for, for candor, for seriousness, for sincerity, for something thoughtful, for something, for, for something wild and unknown. They want surprise. They want these things. They crave them live. And that's what I offer and that's what I do best. The problem for me is that on paper, it just doesn't look that good. It doesn't look that good. If you, if you submit to a festival board in Florida, a song like Gun Dealer, a song like The Crying of the Times, and then a bio that starts with, you know, John Brooks aims to comfort those who've looked inside themselves and aims to, you know, terrify those who have not. So anybody who's never known me or, 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 or breathe the same air of a live show, that makes them think, we can't have this. Where's the good lovelies? This guy's not going to be right for our folk club. And then sure enough, nine times out of 11, people see me live and it's, it's the opposite effect. They understand then. They understand that I am not, you know, I'm, I'm much better than I was 15 years ago. I will say that. When I started out, I, it didn't occur to me that people couldn't handle a night of, of nothing but war stories and PTSD and all this. I thought... I was, I was coming from a literary background, and I thought that it was not only my job, but my obligation to basically fill the night up with as much heavy stuff as possible. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. That is not the way you perform live and get an audience. What you need to do is, is, is include emotions, you know, the full spectrum of emotions, and give, make people laugh, make people, you know, make people ponder things they've never thought of before. And every once in a while, make people cry. And they want all that, but they don't want just one part of that. So to your, to your question, is it, is it an issue? No, it, live, it's never an issue. It's a, um, that, that is the one thing that I think I'm doing right. Um, and I think people, people enjoy generally. Let's listen to that song just now. This is John Brooks with The Crying of the Times, number three. From his great new reimagining of the album Moth No Rust, it's entitled Moth No Rust 2, and you're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. How can we hear the real and the ragger? How can we hear the dirge and lament? How can we hear the blue note rebelling? And how can we hear the false cadence? Yet we can't hear the cry of the times. Yet we can't hear the cry. Times. And how can we hear the umlaut and the accent? How can we hear the unstressed vow? And how can we hear the sibilance and the plosive? How can we hear 
the voiceless howl. Yet we can't hear the cry of the times. Yet we can't hear the cry of the times. The crying of the times. The crying. How can we hear the God song of humpbacks? How can we hear the igloolic thing? How can we hear the bow shock of Jupiter? How can we hear Saturn's rings? Yet we can't hear the cry of the times. Yet we can't hear the cry of the times. The crying of the times. That's John Brooks with The Crying of the Times number three from his wonderful new album, Moth No Rust 2. John Brooks is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today, having one of those wonderful conversations where we get behind the songs. And you, what I love about John Brooks is the fact that there is layers and layers of interesting thoughts, ideas, uh, beautiful lyrics in all his songs. I mentioned before at the start of this interview that he is somebody you just have to check out in concert if you get a chance. Now, John, I think this album is released around mid-September, is that right? Friday, September 13th. And you picked that day deliberately, I imagine. Uh, not entirely. Uh, there's certain dates where you're allowed to release albums. That was one that was within the within within reach it's just a good date too. It's not, uh, it's not too close to Labor Day where, you know, you're going to be challenged to get people out. It's, I always think there's two new years, September and then January. And, and by September 13th, we're pretty much back in a, a new routine. And that just seemed right. I'm not afraid of Friday the 13th. I am superstitious that nobody's allowed to wear purple on stage with me, but I'm not superstitious about Friday the 13th. 
So tell us a little bit about your plans for the release of the album. Basically, it, there's two shows that people have an opportunity to catch in the GTA, Greater Toronto Area. Of course, the main one we're promoting is the Dakota Tavern. Very civilized time, 7 to 9 p.m. on Friday night. There'll be a show on the Thursday, September 12th, for the uh, nine or ten super fans I have in the uh, Oakville, Dundas, Hamilton area. Um, that's at the Moonshine Cafe, run by one of the most first-rate presenters this country has, John Marlett. The Moonshine Cafe in Oakville, that's on the 12th. And then the next night is the Dakota, and that'll be the, that'll be the big one. It'll be both vinyl and CD release. And I think after that, you'll be off on tour. I see you have tour dates in October and November. And then obviously in January, you're back for your sad Mondays at the the Cameron House. I guess on tour, do they tend to go back to being more of a solo show? Or do you see that maybe because you have this album out with more of a band feel, that maybe you might try and do more gigs uh, where you're bringing on one one or two side players? On tour, it'll be Vivian and I in in most of those dates in the fall. Out west, it'll be Neil and I. March is a bit of a way off, but we'll we'll be doing a tour throughout Alberta and parts of Saskatchewan then. And those gigs, it'll be a three-piece again. And we haven't quite decided who will be the third the third wheel. It's definitely Vivian and I. It might be Neil, it might be Joe. It, it just depends on all kinds of... Uh, dreary uh, financial issues but those are real issues that play a big part in in uh, in our little corner of the arts world and i think if people want to get more information on all the dates they can head to your website at johnbrooks.ca that's probably the best place to keep in touch yep yep uh johnbrooks.ca facebook.com slash johnbrooks music but yeah those are the two main ones for for, for keeping th- keeping up I do have a I do have a newsletter that I seldom send but that's uh, another way to keep keep up on dates so you mentioned there were other tracks that were recorded at the same time as these I, I guess they will be saved for the next album when that arrives yes um, for the first time in my 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 career I've done an album in back-to-back years so no one travels alone isn't even a year old yet it came out September 21st last year. And then this one will come out the 13th. That is to say, there is such a thing as having too much stuff out there, particularly when you're like me, known for being unknown already. I mean, most of my audiences that I play to, it's all new to, the, to, to at least half the audience still. That's just the way the music business is these days. So no big rush. I, I do believe it'll, there'll be a, another album to come in 2020 because, like I say, it's already... 70% recorded. I'm not sure what we'll do with it, but I be- I really believe in the songs. It frustrates me a little bit that I think there's some of the best songs I've ever written that I'm sort of keeping back because I didn't want to release too many all at once on this one. Vinyl is an issue too, which I discovered. You probably know this, but when you're doing vinyl, which has come back into fashion, time is a big is a is a big uh, dictator of what what goes on the album, unlike CDs where you can put and many, as many songs as you want. On vinyl, you, you've you got about, I don't know, 20, 20, 24 minutes per side. That's it. Otherwise, then it becomes this massive double album, which you're also trying to avoid. I have to say, and I want to put a shout out to Fallen Tree Records. They've done a lovely job at packaging this album. 
you know, yes. like Borealis Records have done with No One Travels Alone and The Smiling and Beautiful Countryside as well. It's just very nice. You know, the lyrics I love. Is there ever likely to be a book of John Brooks' lyrics? Has there been anything like that in the past? Because they really, in some ways, do stand alone. And I've always wondered whether, you know, you, you mentioned coming from a literary background, whether there's any been any thought of, of creating a lyric book or whether that has to wait for the box set that comes in the future? Yeah. I'm a big fan of something um, the English writer Martin Amos said, writers should stop writing at, at, at age 70. And maybe, uh, maybe, 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 maybe more widely uh, celebrated in pop culture today is Quentin Tarantino's promise that he will only make ten movies. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fan of that idea. And I think I'm of the same mind, uh, particularly since right now I'm already on the wrong side of fifty, and I've got, I'm releasing my seventh album. I like the idea of three more albums, and then after that, I can, I can, I can have fun with all my. Uh, my my unfinished uh, desires to, to to write in a different form, um, maybe non musically, but lyrics are not completely meant for publishing on their own because lyrics are not poetry. Lyrics are lyrics are a compromise, a constant compromise between melody and rhythm, and poetry. Poetry, you're free, and by free I mean kind of enslaved to. Uh, to find the exact right words. But unlike, uh, unlike poetry, lyrics can't always have the exact right word because it's gotta be a compromise with, uh, with, with the rhythm and the music. There are times where, where sometimes we trip over our lyrics because we're so stubbornly determined to get what we need to say said and, and sometimes it, it, it comes off awkward. But that's the reason why I haven't done a, a book of lyrics. Oh, the other reason is simple. It's just a, it's just an issue of money. I mean, where does the money come from? You just can't, you know. I, I I think I've done well this year to release merchandise where there's bookmarks available now and uh, eyeglass cleaners with the smiling and beautiful countryside uh, album cover on it. That's about as much as my budget can afford. So, next is t-shirts. Book? Who knows? Down the road. And by the way, Jan. I, I love doing interviews with you because you do care about lyrics, but I have to say we are in the minority. Most people, honestly, and, and such are the times where people are actually completely candid about it. You know, oh, I don't listen to lyrics. The number of times I've heard that, it, to me, it blows my mind. That's not from where I come from, but that's just a reality. A lot of people, they don't, they don't care. They just, they just want to, they look at the lyrics as another, 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 another rhythmic uh, instrument. I'm going to read a lyric to you before we play our final song. Mm. We are the earth, we are its oil. We are seeds, we are gifts to the soil. We are hope's blood and bone that we're never alone. That is to say, there is only love. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because beautiful lyrics at the start of the song we're going to finish with today, there is only love. I mentioned earlier, people need to come hear you play. There is nothing better, as far as I'm concerned, than than listening to you play, especially with some of the incredible songs that you've written. Tell us a little bit about this song. Well, really, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the fact that I don't have much to add to that is is justification for my choosing this 
and maybe i don't know because we're free is my favorite songs i've ever written i like song song of the mournful world a lot uh, we all have our favorite kids at certain times and that always changes i remember bruce coburn in an interview once and i've always been meaning to ask him this if i ever had the chance you know how do you make a set list sir like <laughs> you got 40 albums i mean I, I i stress and sweat over making a set list with you know six albums or seven albums or eight albums whatever how do you how do you do it when you've got so many and 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 his answer i heard once was um well just different times in my life different songs resonate more than others this for me lately well for one it's it's neil the guy i play with a lot he kind of reinvigorated this song I, for a while once i wrote the song called mercy and a song called madeline my my waltz my waltz quota was taken up in a two set night and so for years i didn't play this song Anyway, it, it sort of came back to life when I started playing with Neil. And ever since then, um, I I, it pains me not to play this in a night because it's, uh, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. And it would work. This is one of the few songs that it would work on paper still. But m very few, so, seldom do just work on paper alone without the music, my opinion. It's a beautiful way to finish. John Brooks, mm -hmm. as always, it's a pleasure to chat with you. This is John Brooks with There Is Only Love from his wonderful new reimagining of Moth Nor Rust. It's entitled Moth Nor Rust 2. It's out now on the Fallen Tree Records label. And please, whatever you do, get to at least one John Brooks show because if you go to one, you'll be like me and you'll be finding every opportunity to catch him in concert. Thank and you, Jan, so much. An absolute pleasure. You are loved. Our gifts to the soil We are hopes Blood and bone That we're never alone That is to say That there is only love We are the air That sings through the trees We are each other we're on our knees We are the mystery and the wind And all beauty and suffering That is to say There is only love That is to say There is only love We are fine Sometimes we are light We are passions But sometimes are right We are brick We are mortar We'll be ashes tomorrow That is to say That there is only love That is to say 
We have water We have rain We can know by Only what we can name We are salt We are cane And we're never the same That is to say That there is only love That is to say there is only love That is to say